In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not there, but so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. If you have caught the recent episode of Behind the Attraction on Disney+, Plus, centered on the Disneyland Hotel in particular, then you've likely already heard from today's guest, author Donald W. Ballard. The creation of the hotel during Disneyland's earliest days is a compelling story, as the resort was known around the world for its stellar amenities, accommodations, and quick access to the park. I gathered a ton of new knowledge about the hotel from watching that episode, which premiered shortly after Don and I recorded this conversation. And I hope you enjoy this dialogue in which Don affords rich context to the hotel's origins and evolution, as well as creating a really interesting book. When it comes to one of the most magical lodging destinations on any Disney property, perhaps nobody's more of an expert on this subject than author Donald W. Ballard. For many years, Don has researched the history and legacy of the Disneyland Hotel. And this fascination has led him to craft a website and multiple books on the hotel. And today on Notably Disney, uh, Don is here to talk about his titles, including the debut of the second edition of Disneyland Hotel, the early years, uh, 1954 to uh, 1988. Uh, Welcome to Notably Disney, Don. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'd love for us to begin by just deconstructing your interest in and background in the Disneyland Hotel. What, what drew your interest in the first place? Well, it, it all took place in 1995. And uh, my wife and I had checked into the Disneyland Hotel. And we were being um, escorted to our room by a bellman. And uh, he had been there since 1968, so what, almost uh, 30 years, 27 years. Um, And on the way over, we got to talking about the architecture of the hotel. And he said uh, something to me, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, you know, nobody's ever written anything about this place. And it has a really fascinating history with the the architecture, its parallels with uh, the, the development of Disneyland. 
and also the original owner because it wasn't owned by Disney until 1988. Um, and just some of the parallels between Walt Disney and Jack Rather, who was the original owner of the hotel. Um, and I'd always said in college, um, one of my bucket list items was that I was going to write a book. And so I, I said to myself, well, there's, there hasn't been anything written of uh, substance on this. There's a lot of articles and, and things in travel magazines and things like that, but none that went into in depth. And so I kind of just planted that idea and I started accumulating information and doing research and everything. And uh, it finally turned into the first book about, oh, eight and a half years later. Well, and it seems like a lot of good books start from that foundation that you described. It just something has not been covered in much depth. And you said kind of the origins um, emerged in the, in the mid nineties. Now that was the early days of the internet. So what were your um, initial sources and ways of gathering information about the Disneyland hotel since there, since it was just, you know, the, the World Wide web was in its infancy. Yeah. I think the biggest uh, contribution to, to resource material and things was eBay. Uh, the ability to buy uh, old brochures and old uh, ephemera that was related to the hotel. Um, that was huge because I started pretty much buying everything I could find. It was, um, I, I often refer to my collection as my wife's kitchen because I never redid her kitchen because I was spending so much in, in buying paraphernalia and stuff on the hotel and we still haven't redone her kitchen. But anyway, um, that was huge. Um, and then um, it was actually just going down there um, and seeing people at the resort hotel and everything and talking to them. Um, but uh, uh, what, what was really kind of neat was I would buy something on eBay from somebody and then they would say, oh, by the way, I have all these other documents and everything too, you know, for an extra $10 or $5, I'll uh, throw those in too. So it was really a boon, you know, uh, by, by having that. Uh, and plus you could research it, you know, you could research it from the comfort of your own family room. You could look up things, you know, on the hotel. And I was able to look up Christopher Rather, who was Jack Rather's son, who took over the company um, during the transaction between uh, the Rather Corporation and Disney. And I got to, to meet him after a, a period of time to also get some resource materials and information. It's really fascinating eBay as a vehicle to gather physical artifacts to, to learn about a place. I, I just find that really just compelling. Is your, is your house stocked full of different Disneyland hotel ephemera? I have it um, in storage. Um, it's in safe storage. And, um, but I think I have 11 large drums or what, what would I call them? Uh, storage bins, like treasure chests full of uh, photographs, magazines, uh, brochures. I think I, I think I, I claim to have the greatest collection of Disneyland hotel memorabilia in the world. Um, and then um, that was also greatly enhanced by a, a rather family storage vault that I was told about uh, several years after the first book came out. Um, I, I, um, Chris rather called me one day and said, Hey, Don, I've got this storage vault in Hollywood. I've, I haven't been there in 35 years. And there might be some interesting material on rather family business, uh, aspects. Um, and they owned Lassie, the television series, Lassie, the Lone Ranger, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon, um, of course, the Disneyland hotel. Um, later they owned the concessions to the Queen Mary and the Spruce Goose in Long Beach. 
uh, Jack owned oil wells, TV stations, radio stations, um, um, and, and other hotels, uh, which would play a part in him being the winning bidder to, to build the Disneyland Hotel from the uh, Disney company in 1955. Um, but that, uh, that greatly helped. And um, 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 the, the storage vault thing was just a, I went, I went down there. Uh, I live in Northern California and the storage vault is in Hollywood, Southern California, about a 400 mile drive or an hour flight. And I told my wife on the way, I said, uh, you know, we were going for the day, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I said, if I find 10 pictures in here, 10 items that I haven't seen before, this will be a successful trip. I scanned 2,000 photographs and I also uh, digitized 17 16 millimeter films that I found, and some of which the contents were just beyond belief. I mean, I'm talking Disneyland's opening day in color film by Jack Rather. Um, uh, as he walked the grounds with his own 16 millimeter camera um, and color footage of opening day at Disneyland was almost non-existent. So I found some real priceless gems um, inside the storage vault. That's, that's incredible. I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper. I am curious though, in terms of how you were able to forge that connection with the Rather family uh, at the onset, what did that look like? I found Chris Rather um, there were three surviving uh, Rather children out of four, um, two from Jack Rather's first or second marriage to Bonita Granville, and one from his first marriage. Um, and Molly was the oldest from the first marriage. Um, and I was able to go in on the internet and get some details on some of their um, uh, archives. They, they also have their family archives at Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles, uh, which is right next to LAX airport. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a college there and they have their, their, what they call the Rather family papers there. Um, and I was able to dig into there and talk to the uh, curator, the director of the archives there. Um, and I said, um, I don't expect you to give me Chris Rather's contact details, but I, I would like it if you could pass along a message to me with, or to him with my contact details. And he was gracious enough to do that. And uh, I think it was six months later, I got an email because um, I, I had said, Chris, would you be willing to, you know, write an introduction or a forward to a book? And would you be able to sit down and talk with me about your involvement with the Disneyland Hotel? Um, and I didn't hear anything for six months and I was beginning to give up hope that I would ever hear from him. But anyway, I get this email back from him and it says, maybe, <laughs> just maybe, you know, the word maybe. And I said, okay, well, you know, what is it that you need to know for you to want to proceed? And he said, well, send me something, you know, that you're working on. So I sent him a rough draft of the, of the book with text only. Um, and then he wrote back and said, I'd be glad to. And then since then, you know, we've had a wonderful relationship. And also with his, uh, his sister, Linda and Molly, I had a, a, a wonderful and, and great relationship with her. She passed away, I think it was four years ago, five years ago uh, that she passed away. Uh, but that's how it pretty much started. Just, you know, again, another internet feature of being able to look people up. Um, and if you dig hard enough, if you dig and really are diligent about your, your, uh, your digging and, and you're trying to, you know, uh, uncover things about things, it, it, you'd be surprised at what you can find or, or things that lead to things that open doors or turn over rocks or things like that, you know, so you get tons of information. Well, and that's also a testament to being tenacious and really having your heart 
set out on on making a, a dream a reality to for you you said a, a bucket list goal was to to write a book and in this case about a, a relatively underexplored topic and to be able to develop that relationship with the family to where they um, place that trust in you to to share the story of of you know Jack Rather and, and developing the Disneyland Hotel that's pr that's pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, they, they the thing about it was there were a whole bunch of books already on Disneyland. There were a whole bunch of books already on Walt Disney. And I just said to myself, there's nothing I'm going to be able to, you know, expound upon that that anybody hasn't already seen or heard. And plus, um, it appealed to me, like I said, that nothing had been done about this. And the more um, it's kind of like a college course. So you have to take some college courses because you have to, you know, it's part of the, uh, the graduation process. And what you find is there's interest in just about anything that you take, any course that you take, you find something interesting about it. And you say, I went into that reluctantly, but I, I found interest and it was, it was actually kind of fun, you know, to learn that same thing with the, with the hotel. I, 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 the more I dug up about it and the more I, I started researching and everything, the more it did, it did have a fascinating story. You know, the celebrities that stayed there, the, the, the uh, uh, additions they made over the years. And like I said, how it grew when Disneyland do. And, and then the tremendous parallels between uh, the two uh, visionaries that I call them, Walt Disney and Jack Rather of building, you know, a theme park out in the middle of nowhere and a hotel out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, both were family men, both wanted families to have a place to go to enjoy themselves. Uh, and they invested quite a bit of money, you know, in, in those days um, on an unproven, uh, uh, you know, uh, piece of uh, property out there. Like I said, it was in the middle of the orange groves. Um, but they were really both were convinced that, you know, that they, uh, they had the right idea and that it would it would pan out. Um, and Jack Rather had a lot of similarities with Walt Disney, which is another thing that fascinated me about him. So, you know, it just it just then became a passion. And I, like I said, I've been doing it since 95. So that's 26 years now. And I still learn more. I still meet people or I still get something from somebody, you know, that worked at the hotel for 10 years in the 60s. And they'll send pictures or anecdotes or, you know, stories that they have. Um, and I love it. Uh, I think the most gratifying thing, though, is when I hear from somebody that says, I read your book, and oh, it brought back so many happy memories. I spent my honeymoon there, and we brought our, our daughter there when she was one years old, or, you know, we had her birthday party. I love hearing from people when they tell me that it sparks a, a fun uh, or memorable event in their life. It just, it just kind of makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And uh, I was intrigued by what you were saying earlier, harkening back to the notion of gathering all those, you know, a few thousand photos from the from their archives and um, those those prints of the early days of Disneyland in color. That's that's just miraculous. How, I guess, in terms of just the footage. So I guess you had the equipment to be able to to play the film. Um, actually. Um... The, if the photographs were amazing enough because I was seeing right. things like on the on the groundbreaking, you know, they had all the <laughs> old outtakes that they used from the photographs that the Anaheim Call Bulletin used and some of the other local newspapers uh, there. They had a whole envelope that was sealed. Hmm. Um, and I called Chris and he said, yeah, go ahead and open it, you know. Uh, but then to see the films and I, I, I actually had to do because I wasn't expecting to see films. I really didn't know what to expect. 
from inside this uh, storage vault. Um, I just was kind of taking the film out and looking at it, you know, frame by frame up to light. Um, and then, of course, you could go by the title because some of them, you know, said um, Disneyland, a special place, 1960, you know, on one of them. You knew that was Disneyland hotel stuff. But the opening day footage that I found, and I found three different reels of 16 millimeter, and this is beautifully preserved because this is in a in a state of the art storage vault in in Hollywood uh, called Hollywood Vaults. I mean, it's temperature controlled. It's actually very cold in there, um, but it's ideal for the preservation of photographs, documents, uh, and and um, and films. So this place was ideally set up for that. Um, and then the more we, we dug, we brought down a scanner um, and my wife was out in the lobby scanning and scanning and scanning and scanning. And I would just bring out stacks of photographs. Um, and then I asked Chris, I said, hey, do you mind if I take a couple of these films or some of these films, you know, to get uh, digitized? And he said, no, no, go right ahead. Um, and then some of the other ones I did, I, I just found on accident because they weren't labeled. You know, they just had like family events or something on them. And then when you look, Jack would film for, uh, you know, a couple of minutes of them skiing in the Alps or, you know, in Hawaii or, uh, you know, at their home in Beverly Hills. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's, you know, two and a half minutes of Disneyland opening day in color with Fess Parker and Buddy Epson arriving on the bus uh, the day that they were filming the, the live television special on ABC you know, or, or you see uh, Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher arriving on the bus and, you know, and then on one of the films uh, that I found, it actually has in color Jack, or, or excuse me, Walt Disney and his doing during his dedication speech of Disneyland, Jack was filming that. Um, and they were in the car that was two behind Walt in the parade. So they were actually part of the parade, Jack and Benita rather, uh, were a part of the parade. And so they filmed, you know, some of that. Um, and, and again, it, it couldn't be more beautifully uh, restored or preserved. It's just amazing how crystal clear and crisp this, uh, this film really is. Um, and it was just, you know, I showed them at the archives, the, the Disney studio archives, and they were just, their jaws just dropped, you know, because they had never seen this. Everybody gets a picture of this in black and white from the television the hour and a half television special. But when you actually see like the cameras were red, you know, and the guys were wearing blue and white striped shirts with safari hats that were filming or were part of the production crew. It just adds another whole perspective to this because you see it in color, you know, and it just, it just really, really presents a great visual picture of what it was like there that day on opening day. And as you're describing this, I'm kind of getting chills because of the, the significance of that. You mentioned sharing the footage with folks um, uh, in the Walt Disney Company. Are, have there been ways in which the, the footage has been able to be showcased or, or used in, in other ways? Um, I'm actually uh, pitching that idea. I, I want to do a documentary on the, uh, I call it the Amazing Vault Find. And I want to um, do a documentary with um, whomever's interested. I'm in talks with people right now, but it's kind of lukewarm um, just to do a documentary on, you know, the whole story of the vault and what was in there. And then, you know, the kind of uh, icing on the cake is the films with Disneyland's opening day in there, you know, because there's, there's a bunch of other films too. There's a print of the hotel's opening day. There's a print of, 
you know, uh, in 1957, they do a whole walkthrough, a guy does a whole walkthrough of all the shops and restaurants and stores. And he goes into a room to show people, you know, what it's going to be like to stay at the hotel in 1957. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of other fascinating films and everything in there, uh, you know, and I've presented these, um, not so much the opening day footage to a, a, a large audience, but I spoke at the Walt Disney Family Museum and I spoke at a couple of D23 conventions and, and some other Disneyana shows and things like that where I presented this footage and everybody just comes away saying, oh my goodness, that is just priceless, you know, that, that uh, opening day footage. That's right. Now I remember, yes, you did have a talk at D23 Expo about that. That's, um, that's wonderful. Well, I hope yeah. the I hope the documentary um, could could come to fruition so that folks uh, more broadly could uh, take that all in. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be a great uh, a great story, and I think Disney people that love Disney would love to see this material, and they would also uh, I think it has a really interesting story too about you know how it kind of was just happenstance that I get this call and 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 we go down there, and I went back five different times to the vault and each time we found you know more and more um and it's just it was just it was just a, an incredible gold mine of a find yeah no kidding well let's talk a little bit more um about the the hotel itself and its development and i know in um in your book you adopt more of a postcard like design um in telling the hotel story what I know that you're very intentional in terms of with the, the two volumes and covering um, specific periods, but what what was, once you were gathering this information, gathering uh, material from eBay and, and through your connections with the Rathers, how did you determine what what elements you wanted to focus on in, in relaying the history of the hotel? Um, that's a great question. I... Um went with what I had. So what I had at the time um, and the material that I had at the time, and I was granted a, uh, a visit at the Walt Disney uh, Studio Archives. So I, I was able to get some more material from there, but I pretty much just looked at everything that I had, took uh, voracious notes, um, and then just kind of edited and, and crafted it into, you know, what was that first book. Um, but then what happened is that was released in 2005, coinciding with the 50th anniversary of the opening of Disneyland and the hotel. Um, I found after that book was released, I knew the tip of the iceberg because I started getting emails and phone calls and visits and, 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 you know, people coming up to me saying, you know, I, um, I was the vice president at the hotel. I even met the original architect, uh, a gentleman named Alfred Nicholson. He was in his 90s. Um, and he lives in he lived in Malibu, California. He too has since passed away just a couple of years ago. Amazing guy, uh, just a real amazing guy. USC School of Architecture graduate, uh, World War II veteran, um, flew in a B-24 in World War II, just a, a really neat guy. Um, and he called me one day and said, Don, this is Al, Al Nicholson. And I thought to myself, no, this can't be the Al Nicholson, because I've heard it, heard of Weber and Nicholson. Um, that was the architectural firm. Um, but I didn't expect to be talking to him. And he said, well, I'm coming to see you. And at that time, I think he was 92. Um, and he drove up. He drove the seven and a half hours. And he shows up and opens his trunk. And there's a trunk full of blueprints and photographs and 
documents and and building permits and and brochures and and large posters and he says copy whatever you need so the floodgates opened after the first book came out uh, of people that you know loved the subject you know had a passion for the hotel as well maybe even worked there or were cast members or or you know had tremendous experiences there they shared everybody was willing to share with with me you know what uh what they uh, what they had accumulated. So it just I said, um, you know, this is this I could have made the first book instead of 135 pages, I could have made it a 1000 pages, you know, with the material that I had. So I decided to break it up into decades. So my second project was just on the 50s. Uh, because the majority of what we found in that storage vault, I'd say 70% of it deals with the early early days, the 50s. Um, and I was able to put together a book uh, just on the 50s uh, that had all kinds of new that had material that hadn't seen the light of day like I said in you know since that that period of time um, and so I, I realized that I I knew nothing about the hotel I thought you know I, I was a subject matter expert and that I could quote you anything but I just learned so much more after that um, one of the other really neat things I wanted to point out, too, that I found was in 1964, Jack Rather was on the board of directors for Capitol Records. And I don't know how familiar you are with the recording industry or anything, but who was the, the single most, um, the, the biggest band there ever was that recorded on Capitol Records? I mean, these guys in the 60s were from England. They were huge. The Beatles? The, yeah. Well, I found pictures of the Rathers with the Beatles um, in the storage vault. Uh, you know, they were they were with Paul McCartney and John Lennon, and George Harrison and Ringo Starr, you know. And I asked Chris, I called Chris, I said, hey, did you get to meet the Beatles? He said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know. And it's just, you know, one more incredible thing that I found inside there um, in, in this uh, vault. Right. Well, and of course, the Beatles have a, a, another famous Disney connection in terms of um, with the contemporary and where um, they they broke up. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I heard that. I heard that that's where they broke up. I don't know. I, I, I don't think they were all there at that time. I th wasn't it just one of them who was there that broke up or were they all there? I don't remember the specifics. I would have to yeah. look back, but that is yeah, a, yeah. an interesting celebrity uh, connection to a, a different Disney hotel. Yeah, yeah. So, so Don, as you, you mentioned in terms of gathering more details about the hotel, uh, basically the floodgates were open as you described it. Is that what essentially helped uh, drive the momentum for the second edition of your 5488 book? Yeah, I, I, um, like I said, I used what I had to create that first book. And I thought it was, I, if I do say so myself, I thought it was a good uh, piece of work. I thought I was really proud of it and I liked it. But again, I was able to supplement on this new uh, version that's coming up that's being released in August, uh, later this month, I guess I should say. Um, I was able to replace just about every photograph that I had in the original book with more vivid and vibrant photographs to depict the story because the, the stories, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, and I had to use what I had when I came out with it first in 2005. But uh, the benefit of this uh, revised edition is I have the luxury of going through over 20,000 photographs now that I can pick something that 
more appropriately tells something that's in the text or, or depicts something that's in the text um, in a much more uh, aesthetically pleasing kind of uh, venue, if you will. Uh, you know, the, the pictures are all sharp and crisp, whereas the other ones, you know, they they had to be altered and adjusted and enhanced and everything. But again, I went with what I had and I thought I had a lot at that time. But, you know, in retrospect, I look and I say, nope, <laughs> I had nothing at that time. So maybe can you provide a few examples of new photos that you were able to curate that really stood out to you as being, wow, this is definitive of the Disneyland Hotel during a specific period? Yeah, one that immediately comes to mind is I was able to get a bunch of pictures, uh, a whole set of pictures of, um, they had a thing called the Marina there, which uh, debuted in 1970. Um, and the Marina uh, in its initial uh, format, you know, was fairly simple. You know, it wasn't, the foliage hasn't, hadn't grown and, you know, it was fairly barren with a lot of dirt and everything. And I had some a whole stack of photographs that I came across showing that in its very first initial um, iteration. Um, and that was kind of neat because it gives people an idea of what it looked like when it first opened. And then I subsequently will add in things as, you know, they planted trees or trees began to grow or they added features, they added dancing waters or they added, you know, a bridge or a trout pond for people could fish. Uh, but it's always nice to see you know, that, that uh, the genesis or the very beginning of, of something, um, what it looked like, you know, on, on the, like the, the, the opening day footage, I, he went over to the Autopia and he filmed people on the Autopia. Um, and you can see that without any foliage. And it's neat to see something on its very first day, kind of like having a Mickey Mantle rookie card, you know, that's his very first year. Um, and it's, and it's the very beginning of something and people can get an idea of, how it's evolved and, and you know what it looked like in its initial phase. Um, some other things were um, I was able to put in more uh, photographs of Walt Disney. Um, you know that I found I found um, thirty-five photographs in that storage vault of Walt Disney in and around the hotel or, or with the Rather family or other celebrities there that you know nobody had ever seen before. So I was able to put some of those in there. I was able to put some photographs from Bonita Granville's film career. Um, and then I got some just a lot better photographs of them, of Jack, Jack and Benita for the sections on them, uh, you know, from like uh, some photographs that I got of them all dressed up like in the late 40s. And it just it really added a, the picture that I had there originally was just nowhere near as nice as that one. And that's one that I was really proud of as well. Um, and then just uh, I added a bunch of the brochures. I, I accumulated a bunch more brochures and ephemera. I put those in there with, you know, some of the rates through the different years, the hotel room rates through the different years um, and amenities. Um, it's just full of a lot more eye candy. Uh, text hasn't really changed a lot. I did uh, correct a few things um, and all the captions are new, um, but the photographs are just what really now really set it apart. That's wonderful. You know, I, as you mentioned, hotel rates, I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I'd want to look at those because compared to what the prices are looking like these days, it's a, a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> well, they were, when the hotel opened, the, a room, a standard room was $9. Um, and now it costs more to park, you know, per night there. Uh, but, it, you know, you're talking in 55 with inflation. Um, and I don't know what the hotel is now. 
I, I've heard that it's, you know, upwards of $500 a night. Um, I, you know, due to COVID and everything, we haven't been in a year and a half. Uh, but um, it was always a little bit more expensive than the surrounding area hotels. Like oh, they sure. would advertise a room for $9 and you could stay at the Saga or the Carousel for $8 a night. But back then, a dollar you know, was like an hourly rate for somebody, you know, the minimum wage was a dollar an hour. So if you imagine, if you will, that's at least like $15 now, you know, enough to buy a, a, a burger or something, you know, a meal or something. Um, so, but they were always booked, you know, they were always, it was the place that people wanted to stay and they were full of celebrities and, and, you know, important people. And, uh, you know, they, they had an over a 95% occupancy rate and, and stuff. So it was the hotel that people definitely wanted to stay in. Yeah, yeah. And I understand from your website and, and what the book features is that there were a number of really unique and cool types of amenities that aren't necessarily the most common at a Disney resort today or let alone any resort. Can you talk about some of your favorite distinct offerings featured at the Disneyland Hotel over the years? Well, they had... Uh, an on-site doctor, an on-site dentist. They had beauty parlors. They had, uh, for men and women, they had, you could get a haircut. Um, you could buy a whole complete wardrobe. They had a men's shop, you know, with suits and, or leisure wear. Um, they had a magic shop where you could buy magic tricks. Um, they had a sundries, you know, where you could get film or uh, medicine or sodas or, you know, uh, snacks, things like that, plus souvenirs. But they also, they also had a lot of things that were free, you know, that you could go to and you could be entertained, like Dancing Waters. They had this Dancing Water show, which is, um, it's world of color in its infancy. Um, it's what the, uh, the predecessor to uh, world of color. It was a, a light, uh, light and water show to music, to a, a soundtrack. Um, and that was free. People from the surrounding neighborhood could go in there and watch that for free. Um, they had, you know, an Olympic-sized pool that was heated. They were the first hotel on the West Coast to get color TV. Um, they had a TV in every room. And that's something that you and I or everybody takes for granted these days. But back in the 50s, not every hotel had television in their, in their rooms. Um, they also had they also had multiple offerings of rooms. You could stay in a standard room. You could upgrade yourself and you know stay in a junior suite. Then you could stay all the way up into the presidential suite, you know, for the for the high rollers or the people that had the means or the celebrities, you know, that stayed there. Um, and they had the meeting space. They had you know space where dad could go for his convention and mom and the kids were you know off to Disneyland while dad was you know working on his convention during the day. Uh, which helped to attract people during the off season, you know, when, when there weren't as many visitors to Disneyland or there weren't as many people that, you know, would have wanted to stay at the hotel. Um, they found a way around that by having their conventions, you know, outside of summer and, uh, and uh, spring uh, time so that they could get people to show up and the occupancy rate was still high. So, you know, that was another uh, nice thing about that. Um, but I remember one time in the, again, in the middle nineties, might've even been on that same trip. We were just sitting there. My wife and I were just sitting out there outside of the monorail cafe uh, in front of the monorail tracks there. And it was a beautiful summer evening with a, a little warm, but a slight breeze. And all of a sudden this band just comes up called the bellhops. They were a, 
a, a brass band that, that came up and they said, Sarah, we'll take your Disney request. And, you know, you're just sitting there and they'll play you any Disney song that you want to hear. You know, how great is that? And then they expect you to sing along with them. You know, so you're out there on this beautiful summer evening. The sun's just going down. It's a beautiful sunset. And you're belting out Disney tunes at the Disneyland Hotel right across the parking lot from Disneyland. How much better does it get than that? You know, it, well, it was just, yeah. No, go ahead, John, please. No, it was just, that's just another feature. It cost me nothing, you know, to do that. Um, and I had the time of my life singing Whale of a Tale from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or, you know, something like that. Um, it was just... Uh, just all kinds of, of experiences and things like that, that, that you could do. Um, they had um, uh, childcare services. Like if the parents, you know, if the dad needed somebody to be watched, they had wonderful amenities like that. Um, top, top of the line, first-class restaurants, as well as coffee houses and burger places or where you could get a quick sandwich. Um, and one of my favorite things to do was to go to Disneyland during the day. And when you're tired of waiting in lines and it's hot and you need a break, we would always go back uh, on the monorail um, and go and get our bathing suits on and go lay by the pool or take a dip in the pool for a, a few hours during the mid-afternoon um, and then refresh ourselves to go back to Disneyland, you know, at, at four or five o'clock till midnight. You know, it was like that added or that needed break in the middle of the day. Uh, you know, grab a burger or a sandwich at the at the coffee shop or, you know, and, uh, sit by the pool, work on your tan, swim, exercise, uh, you know, and and then go back to the room, get changed back up, get right on the monorail right there and you're back into Disneyland. Yeah, no, I love the notion of that. You know, it, as you were t talking, it was making me think of how per the notion of the, the bellhops coming over to sing a song, just those spontaneous elements of Disney culture that um, perhaps aren't as present today as in the past that really helped enhance the, the experience, um, things that you could not expect, but would bring a little bit of joy to the day. Yeah, I mean, I think they refer to it as plussing, you know, they plus something. Um, and there's all these little, little, well, maybe not so little, but there's all these extra added things that are just, like I said before, icing on the cake. They just, I mean, you're already having a, a wonderful time. You're already, you know, right by the happiest place on earth. Um, and then just, just have these other things. It just, it just makes it that much more special and more memorable. And, and it would make you more apt to tell people about it. And they would want to go and experience this as well. Um, and you would want to go back, you know, it, it just, it just was like the perfect way to spend a vacation. Yeah, well, and the, the hotel certainly evolved over the years, certainly once um, Disney took control over um, at the tail end of the 80s. And, and one of the most substantive makeovers of the hotel came um, at the tail end of the 90s as Disney was transitioning to opening downtown Disney and Disney California Adventure Park. Um, and the retheme of the hotel, or at least many areas around Peter Pan and Neverland um, was uh, quite, a, quite a prominent feature. What, what, what are your thoughts of, of how the hotel had changed during that period to reflect more of a common theme around a, a Disney property? So we stayed in the garden structures the last night that they were available you know, to the public. Um, and um, I, I knew that it was gonna happen. So I walked around and I filmed everything I could with my video camera. 
Um, and then I, um, I just walked around one last time, you know, before we left. But um, somebody told me at Disney one time that uh, that was in charge of that uh, demolition of the original part of the hotel, that she said the only thing that was holding up those rooms was the termites, you know, that they had come to such a state. Uh, but my feeling was that they, they should have left up one of the original garden structures just for history's sake, just so people could go there and, you know, redo a honeymoon from 30 years before or something. I always felt like that they could have left one of those rooms up um, I understood the need for the change. I understood that, you know, even Walt Disney said that, you know, it'll never be finished. They're always going to be building and developing, um, you know, those that the time had come for those because they weren't uh, space effective. You know, they were just two story garden structures where they could, you know, have multiple towers or things like that, even though they 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 are building a tower right now, a fourth tower there. Uh, but um, it was sad, but at the same time, I understood why they had to do it because there's nothing left from the original hotel. Not one building is remains from the 1955 version of the Disneyland Hotel. All that was removed to make way for uh, downtown Disney uh, district, and um, there's nothing left. The oldest building there now is the south or the north end of the of the uh, old Sierra Tower. I forgot what it's called now. I think the Adventureland Tower or something. Uh, that was from 1962. So that's the oldest structure on the property. Um, but, you know, I'm a sentimentalist and I'm, I, I love the 50s. I thought they could have just left up one of the garden structures for history's sake and, and you know, maybe even retro theme it, you know, update it, get rid of the termites and, and retro it, you know, for structural defects and things like that. But, you know, keep it in a 50s theme. Um, and I still think they could do that there. I still think they could put an old building in there, you know, with the 50s theme that was exactly modeled after those two-story garden structures from the original buildings there. Um, and people, I think, would absolutely love it, you know? Well, I think, yeah, there is always that sense of nostalgia, especially among people who who have a, a deep reverence for um, the, the early days of Disney. And that's, I guess, what was what's been interesting um, in the past decade with the hotel really taking on more of that notion of Disneyland with those Disneyland elements, the, the monorail-themed slides, Trader Sam's, and, and the list goes on. What, what Do you have a specific take on, um, on that notion of really more of a direct connection to properties and, and brands and familiar spaces from the parks in the actual hotel setting? Yeah, there was, you know, in the in the 50s and 60s, they did have a lot of artwork on the walls of Disneyland of attractions and things like that. So they did have and that was it was um, done so with Disney's permission, you know, because it benefited, you know, made people see that and want to go into the park and everything. Um, but they um, they almost had to do that. They almost had to make it more uh, Disney centric, if you will, because you know, they, they owned it and, and they wanted people to be, you know, have that connection, um, you know, to, to the park and everything. But um, I, I, I just wish I, I, and I think they are to some degree, they would embrace that mid-century design. Um, and, and so, because there's a lot of mid-century fans and everything, but at one time I was told they were considering tearing down a tower at a time and completely rebuilding things. But I think they've given up on that idea. Um, but I, I think that that was something that just, you know, it, it just came with the territory. They got a new owner. It was, you know, now, now they're affiliated because 
a lot of people didn't know that that was privately owned, family owned by the Rather family. They just assumed that since it was the Disneyland Hotel and called the Disneyland Hotel, that it was directly affiliated with Disney, right. uh, which it wasn't until 1988. Right. Well, and it was interesting to, to see many years later with the Rathers actually being honored as, as Disney legends because of their um, direct connection to the company in this more distinct way. Yeah. So there's an interesting story about that too. I was writing to Disney for, I think it was three years on calling and having meetings and stuff about nominating Jack and Bonita uh, to be Disney legends. And all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, I think it's three years later, I get this email from a guy there um, who was in charge of, you know, uh, of the uh, legends committee. And he said, you can leave me alone now. Quit bugging me. We've named Jack and Bonita Disney legends in 2011 plus we want you to speak at d23 you know on their lives in the hotel so it was like a double bonus but i i initiated that to get them made disney legends um next my next project is to get them a window on main street um, because those are all for the people that were uh, uh some of the biggest um people that, that led to to the success of of disneyland and i can't think of anybody more so than jack rather because he built a hotel where people would stay multiple nights and go to the park multiple days instead of one day. So that was a direct result of the success of Disneyland, his upscale hotel next to the, uh, to the Magic Kingdom. I wanna get him a window on Main Street and I have the perfect location for it at the uh, motel or hotel Marceline there on Main Street you know, for it. Um, and that's what I'm lobbying for next. Is there a specific, uh... Uh, avenue for you to do that in terms of campaigning for a window because that's definitely a, a more unique uh, proposition I imagine. There's um, the person that used to be in charge of that was Marty Sklar. He's of course since passed away. Um, so I I have some connections through some of the, uh, the people that I've met that I can submit this um, and get it going. It's just tough to do right now because it involves a, a pretty big ceremony um, way before the park is open. I think they do those at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning when the sun first comes up. Uh, so that doesn't interfere with, uh, you know, the uh, attendees at Disneyland. Um, and right now with COVID and things like that, it's not really the proper time probably to, uh, to really start discussing this. Although they do tend to take a bit of time uh, once you come up with something to, to facilitate it. So it might be a good time in another month or so to, to say, once things calm down with COVID and everything, we should have a ceremony to get them a, a window on Main Street. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but every one of the windows, they have a theme, like the person has a theme uh, in the window. And it's oh, yeah. usually one of the hobbies, you know, like one guy was a fly fisherman and it said fly fisherman extraordinaire supplies for fly fishing. Well, I want to do one for Jack Rather on uh, something related to do collie dogs because he owned Lassie, you know, collie breeder or collie groomer or something like that is his kind of you know funny moniker on his window you know and uh, I think that would make it kind of special as well yeah that's that's really compelling well Don we are recording this episode a few weeks prior to the premiere of the behind the attraction episode on the Disneyland hotel on Disney plus um, of course by the time you folks are listening to it, it will be available uh, for you to check out. But can you talk about your involvement uh, in that episode? I, I know that many, if not all of these episodes for the series were recorded prior to COVID. 
um, hitting, but what, what was that project like for you? Yeah, mine was actually recorded the day before most things went on lockdown two marches ago. Um, and I remember in the car back to the airport, they said the NBA canceled their season today. Uh, you know, so things were really hitting the fan at that time. Um, but I got involved because they decided to do a, a special uh, one of the episodes on the history of the Disneyland Hotel, how that was the flagship hotel. And that sprung all the other resort hotels that are there today. Um, and they um, the, the Disney company has almost nothing on the history of the hotel because they didn't own it. So they went to me to, to look at my material as well as to get some input on some you know, facts that they're going to use for the series. Um, and I had this real worry that all of my scenes were going to end up on the cutting room floor. But I read a review the other day from a gentleman, I forgot the website, um, and he ranked all 10 episodes because he was able to see them. And he right. ranked the hotel one as number three. And, um, and specifically mentioned me in there and said I was featured prominently. So I was really happy to read that. Um, and um, it just, I just went into, you know, the, why uh, they, why Rather was chosen to be the one to build the hotel um, and, you know, the difficulties they had, you know, at the beginning and all the things that they added through the years and, and involvements and things that the Rather family were involved in and, and things. So I went through a, a pretty, broad history of the hotel with this curious to see what ended went ends up in it you know how they uh how they present it um and i can't wait to see it it's on the 25th of this month and i can't wait to see it yeah me too i've been i've been enjoying the episodes uh, as they've dropped and um there's certainly a, a cleverness and, and playfulness to how uh historical content is presented um which in many ways makes it accessible um, to, to viewers who, who want a, a more fast-paced look at the development of, of certain aspects related to Disney. But um, yeah, I think it was, it was very telling that one of, one of the attractions, so to speak, is uh, the, the hotel. I would not have imagined that to, to be in the mix, but I'm glad it is. Yeah, I, I, um, I think too that this episode, based on what I've seen from the first five episodes, uh, this one will probably have some of the uh, some of the most unseen footage and materials because uh, the first five episodes, I, I guess it's just because I'm a I'm a certified Disney nut and I've seen just about everything. There wasn't a lot of new stuff for me. There was some to, to some people there was, you know, as far as footage and material or information. But this one, they're going to be able to use footage that I can guarantee you nobody's seen before or photographs or things like that that. I can guarantee you are going to be brand new. So I'm hoping that that sets that, that, that this episode apart as being something really special. Well, I think it, it's based on what you described, that makes me even more excited um, because I, I do realize that uh, some of the prior episodes have featured more familiar footage. So it is a treat when there's um, stuff dug up from, from the vault. And, and that was similarly what made the Imagineering story documentary on Disney Plus extremely gripping because of the, the novelty of the material. So yeah. yeah. And it just added to the story. You know, it was things that people hadn't seen before. And it just kind of riveted you to the to the episode or to the scenes, you know, that you were watching. For sure. For sure. Well, as we wrap up, Don, I, um, I do have a few 
a couple of quick questions for you, but um, I do want to make sure that at this particular juncture, you make reference to how folks can get a, a copy of the, the new edition of your, uh, your Disneyland Hotel Early Years 5488 book. Okay, great. Um, I, uh, I have a, uh, a new publisher, and it's called theoldmillpress.com the old mill press altogether.com um, and he is also getting ready to release a book on uh, Claude Coates I think coming mm -hmm. up here pretty soon too uh, but that's how that's how you know one can get the book um, and um, I post constantly on Facebook and other social media on the hotel Instagram and things with photographs and pictures but uh, the old mill press you'll be able to get that copy and then if you also want a copy of the Second book, um, just write to me from there because uh, I still have, a, I, I believe it's like 80 or 90 copies of that one left, um, you know, on, on my own personal possession. But there's not many, not many left on that one. Wonderful. Well, yeah, and Old Mill Press, um, we, we just, just featured on the show uh, Dave Bossert, the author of the Claude Coates book, um, which is a fantastic um, title. Yeah. So, um, no, it's great to see that there's some uh, great Disney related pieces come in from there. Well, before we conclude, Don, I ask guests a set of common uh, Disney related questions pertaining to music and books, followed by a random Disney question um, that's unique for that particular guest. So we're gonna cover music and books. Are you ready? Sure. And no, no wrong answers here. This is all opinions, but uh, so your first music related question is, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? I love Beauty and the Beast. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I just watched it last night again. Uh, we had National Night Out in our neighborhood and we hosted it and I played it for the kids. Um, and we, I, I love that soundtrack. I love every song in there. My son was actually, my oldest son was actually in that play. He played Chip. And so I got used to all the songs from all the rehearsals. So I would have to say Beauty and the Beast is my favorite uh, soundtrack. But I also like the compilation ones, the, the ones that had multiple songs for multiple uh, films or, 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 or shorts or things like that. I love those because it had a variety of things. Absolutely. What Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Disney's, um, well, I, I, I think um, not, maybe not so recent, but uh, I love the song Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast. And um, again, I heard it again last night and just the, it's so witty and so wonderfully done. And, you know, with, 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 the, uh, with the scene that's going on in the movie, it's just, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm a big Howard Ashman fan and um, it just, it's just perfect. To me, it's just perfect. Yeah, it's definitely an earworm and certainly the instrumental version finds its way um, across so many different aspects of, of the Disney parks. So <laughs> can't escape uh -huh. it. That's a good one. Uh, what Disney film do you feel is the most underrated music? I've always liked uh, So Dear to My Heart. Um, I think it's not only the, the, the uh, music and things from that, but I think the film itself was very underrated um, and I, it's one of my favorite Disney films because it features live action and animation in it but you know you have Burl Ives in there singing Lavender Blue 
and um, which is an amazing song. Um, and that I just think doesn't get the credit. I don't think, uh, I think people, if people saw that they would fall in love with that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the tail end of the 40s, if I'm not mistaken. So it was, yes. Um, yeah, th that, that one never seems to be brought up in conversation. But it, I mean, it's kind of a, a, you know, in the same era as like Song of the South, a predecessor to, to Mary Poppins and blending live action and animation. Yeah, it was just a wonderful, I thought, a wonderful film. Shifting over to books, what is the most recent Disney book you've read? I'm reading now. I, I well, I, I read one of Dave's books on Kim Weber because I love that that furniture architecture that Kim Weber did with the Disney Studios, and I read that. Um, but I'm also I can't wait to read the Claude Coates book because he was my favorite animator there. I know his son Alan, and um, I've told Alan many times, your dad was my favorite, you know, Disney animator. Just the work that he did. I can't wait to read that book. But my favorite Disney book of all time was a book called The Nickel Tour, Disneyland, The Nickel yes, Tour. Yes, sure. <clears throat> yeah. What about it? Most appealed to you? Just the history behind it and then the research that they did. Uh, and that also came out right around the time I was first getting into, you know, 95, 96, when I was first getting into this wholeheartedly, this Disney subject wholeheartedly. I um, mean, just to see those things through the telling of the postcards and everything um, and read about, you know, you have, it's full of interesting trivia and facts like the, uh, the um, jet boats were the first permanent attraction removed. You know, you just get all kinds of little tidbits of information, you know, from Disneyland on that. And the pictures are amazing. Yeah, you know, I, I never owned that book, but I have such vivid memories of going to Disneyland in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, and the book being featured in the Disney gallery above uh, Pirates of the Caribbean before it was eventually converted into um, the Dream Suite. Um, and yeah. I always remember that book being featured and looking through it and thinking, wow, it just has so much to offer. Yeah, I love that book. It was one of my first ones, and it was it's still to this day probably my favorite. Oh, and I can I can tell you having read an advanced copy of the Claude Coates book. That, and I, as I said on the recording with Dave and Alan, it is absolutely incredible. Um, fantastic read that the, the visuals, um, the, the stuff that they uncovered is um, quite appealing. So it's definitely a must have. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. If you could write a Disney book on any topic outside of the Disneyland Hotel, of course, uh, what would it be about? I wanted, I, I'm fascinated by the last year of Walt Disney's life, um, starting with uh, January 1st when he was the Grand Marshal of the Rose Parade. Um, I'd like to write something, um, I never, I probably never will, but I'd like to write something on his very busy last year, all of 1966. Um, because I think it would capture a lot of his dreams, you know, that he had uh, at the time, not knowing that it was near the end of his life, but um, just showing, you know, the complexity and the talent and the vision right up until the time, you know, he passed away uh, would be uh, a testimony to his, his, you know, his work ethic and his style um, and the dreams that he still had with Disney World and Epcot and, and things like that. It, that that's something that I, I would be fascinated to do. 
don't have a lot of material on it. I have bits and pieces and things like that, but that would be something if I could, I would. Right. Well, and, and that, that would be fascinating too, and approaching it from the standpoint of like the last year of Walt, because certainly pieces have been covered across just a plethora of books, but in terms of having it all in one space, plus, you know, whatever new material could be gathered would be um, really distinct. Yeah, I think so too. I think you hit it right on the head there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So your your last question um, is a random question. So this is just for you. Um, if you, Don, could design a Disney resort hotel around any theme, what it, would it be focused on? Oh, that's easy. I would do a mid-century modern Jetsons, complete Jetsons uh, theme, you know, with the uh, with furniture that looks old, but it's not old. Um, and just, you know, having waitresses on roller skates and, and, you know, com just completely embrace the fifties, early sixties, mid-century modern theme. Um, I would do something like that. Even a suite there, even one of the, the suites that's currently at the hotel would be fun to do. Yeah, that would be, that'd be kind of clever. Um, almost like the the 50s primetime cafe at Hollywood Studios, but a whole resort with that flavor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they duplicate it and put it in such a hotel. Um, yeah. Well, uh, wrapping up, how can listeners follow your work? You mentioned uh, finding the book on the oldmillpress.com, uh, but um, how can they follow uh, your work? I know you have um, your website that has attended to uh, different aspects of the Disneyland Hotel. And, and anywhere else online. Yeah, I, I have a website. It's magicalhotel.com. Um, I'm kind of phasing that one out over the next six months, but um, that's where you used to go to order the books. Um, and, and I think you can still get the second book from that website. Um, I'm also Disneyland Hotel, the early years on Facebook. Um, and I have, uh, I post on there. Uh, a lot of vintage photographs and information on the hotel's history. Um, and my contact information is on there. If people want to get a hold of me if they have questions or comments or, or whatever that, you know, they have on with the hotel. Uh, I'm always happy to hear from people, you know, out there that, that are also interested in this so they could feel free to contact me as well. That's great. Well, Don, it was uh, wonderful to chat with you, learn more about the history of the Disneyland hotel and, uh, exciting to, to hear that we'll be getting more uh, insight into it from the second edition uh, of your book and also the Behind the Attraction episode on Disney+. Plus. So thank you again for your time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I, I'm, I'm very happy to meet you. And thanks again to Don for joining me on Notably Disney. You can check out Behind the Attraction on Disney+, Plus if you want to see that episode on the Disneyland Hotel. And, of course, the new edition of Disneyland Hotel, the early years 1954 to 1988, via the Old Mill Press. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, 
I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.